This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas, is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice, and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-630-6720. That's 800-630-6720. Now, a special presentation, reaction and analysis of the debate from the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network, and my partners and friends, I'm joined, of course, by my broadcast partners, Skip Lacombe and Doc Thompson, and we welcome Alan Dershowitz, who to this audience, I am sure requires no introduction. Alan Dershowitz is the, is America's, our Constitution's preeminent scholar on the Constitution and on criminal law. Uh, Having spent most of his career thus far in Chapter 1 at uh, Harvard Law School, where he's the youngest tenured professor ever. Uh, And you know him from so many important cases which have made up the mosaic of American legal and cultural life. Pornography cases from Deep Throat, the Klaus von Bülow case, uh, the O.J. Simpson case, many, many, too many to mention, other than to say when some people pass, other people weep. I was a little too young or disinterested somehow that when John Kennedy passed or Bobby Kennedy passed or others, I I was struck, I was sobered, but I I did not weep because that's natural and instinctive and immediate. When I learned this evening that Justice Scalia had passed, I wept openly and immediately. I should feel exactly the same in that day somewhere very far off if Alan Dershowitz, if I say, Alan Dershowitz passes because he represents the same kind of cultural, legal milestone that even amateurs have been informed by their whole lives. My friend, my dear friend, Alan Dershowitz, welcome back to the Blaze Radio Network. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your kind words. You can be very sure that I, too, will pass, as we all will. That's the nature of life, as Kafka Kafka said. I don't know about you. The meaning of life is that we die. It's always hard to imagine a world without you, but we have to. Look, I've known Justice Scalia for so many years. I actually knew his father. Uh, His father was a professor at Brooklyn College in the 1950s when I was a student. And I first met Justice Scalia when he was a law professor and uh, we've been um, friends. Um, we've disagreed about a great many things, but I have enormous respect for him. One day, <clears throat> when I was teaching at Harvard Law School, uh, I came back from my class, and the phone rang. And the guy on the other end said, hi, this is Nino. And, you know, I wasn't used to calling him Nino. Uh, I said, Nino? He said, yeah, Justice Scalia. He said, I accept. I said, accept what? He said, oh, you don't know. Your students have challenged you to debate me on interpretation of the Constitution in front of your first-year criminal law class. I said, great, come on. And he came up, and the first thing he said is, I'm not a justice today. I'm just another lawyer. And the 
students, you're all equal to me, and the professor is all equal. We're going to have a great debate, and whoever has the best ideas will win. And we went at it for two hours, and he wasn't Justice Scalia. He was just a guy with some very conservative ideas, and um, we had a terrific, terrific debate. And we've continued that literally until just months ago. Uh, we were in Israel together. We debated Bush versus Gore. At Harvard, we debated Bush versus Gore. Recently, I was in the Supreme Court, and he was um, involved with a group of students from Columbia, and I got invited to participate, and we debated separation of church and state. Um, you know, he was just a feisty guy, funny, um, smart, loved to engage, loved to test his ideas. Um, he, he, and, and forgive um, me, like, like yeah. you are no- known... Though fiercely partisan, known as fiercely collegial, if that can be yeah, well, read. I think that's right. And he, he he complimented me very much recently when I was with him. He said, you know, Alan, a lot of people can say things about us. The one thing that nobody could ever say about either of us is that we're boring. He said, we're not boring. And, boy, he was not <laughs> boring. We fought like children about a Bush versus Gore. And he finally wrote me a long letter about it. And at the end of it, he said, look, Alan, someday, before both of us become senile, I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to persuade you that I did the right thing. Well, I thought about that today because that day will never come. We will not have that conversation. But we had many conversations about Bush versus Gore, about so many, so many things. And I'll miss him. I'll miss his conversations. I'll miss his arguments. I'll miss reading his opinions. I'll miss writing him notes about his opinions and him responding. He always responded. Uh, and uh, he was a very, very good communicator. Professor, he reminds me, and, I, and, and my, I don't have the ability to capture and articulate in sports, which I know you love, there were yep. figures that drew people into the sport, even they, though they knew nothing of it or little of it or cared less, yeah, but sure. they were drawn to it because of that exceptional talent. And mm-hmm. Scalia was, Justice Scalia was one of those people, and again, I, everyone forgive me, much like yourself, Professor, and you already know I feel this way, so no reason to blush, uh, you know, who drew people to the law, not to laws, mm-hmm. but to the law, no, because I agree with that. of you know mm-hmm. the d- ability to give it flesh and dimension, um, and it's for that I ask you this: bringing us up to this evening, Professor, is it? Do you regard it as irony or inevitable, or both, that the passing of Justice Scalia proved to have immediate political, profound political impact? i.e., as of this debate this evening. Yeah, no, I think he would have been the first to understand that. He understood that a Supreme Court justice, although his or her job is to interpret the Constitution, that it's a political institution. We have a system of a tripartite government of equal weight. The only country in the world with the judiciary is equal to the president, equal to the legislative branch. He understood that. You know, there was a moment in time when Justice Scalia actually thought about running for president. Not too many people know that. But he thought seriously, and he spoke to friends about it, about throwing his hat into the ring and getting into politics, because he understood that to implement the kinds of policies that he strongly believed in, uh, conservative policies, religious policies, he was a deeply, deeply religious Catholic. In fact, one of the strongest uh, arguments we ever had is I challenged him once 
on his Catholicism. Boy, that takes chutzpah, you know, for a Jew to challenge a, a, a graduate of Georgetown University and, and Xavier on his Catholicism. I said that his views on capital punishment, where he said that it would not be unconstitutional to execute an innocent person if the innocent person had had a fair trial. And I said, Thomas Aquinas would never have supported that. The Vatican would never have supported that. We had a great debate and a great conversation about Catholic theology, Jewish theology, Protestant theology, capital punishment, the Constitution. I mean, he loved interpreting words. We had conversations about how you interpret music, how you interpret opera, compared to how you interpret the Constitution. He was a man who was very eclectic. He loved opera. I saw him at the opera. Um, many, many times. Most recent time I think I saw him was at the Richard Tucker um, Opera uh, concert in New York. Um, he loved opera. Ruth Bader Ginsburg used to go with him to the opera. I didn't go with him to the opera, but I'd see him there, and we would, we would schmooze and we would talk. Cause we always enjoyed talking to each other. We talked a lot about his father, who was a very interesting character. He was you know, an Italian immigrant, came to the United States, became chairman of the Department of of uh, Romance Languages at Brooklyn College, very conservative, uh, very controversial as a professor, and he loved his father. He was an only child. He made up for that by having eight children of his own, or nine, eight or nine, I can't remember, maybe nine. Uh, and, uh, and um, you know, he, as he said, uh, it was God's will for him to have so many children. He played what he called Vatican Roulette, and that is obviously... He was saying he didn't use birth control, and when God wanted him to have a child, that's when he would have a child. You know, he's an amazing guy. He was so interesting. Everything you discussed with him was interesting. Professor, before I yield to my colleagues, uh, Skip Lacombe, Doc Thompson, if they have a comment, question, uh, whatever here, let me, if if I I may, steal a little bit more of you to to ask this. a lot of people on the political right slash right of center are already arguing the president ought not make a pick because, you know, yada, 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 wait for the will yeah, of yeah, the yeah, people. Right. He's a lame duck. And 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 again, I'm not eager to, to have or see or contemplate who President Obama would wish uh, to not replace that's a very very, very misleading nobody, nobody uh, approximation yeah. but yeah. but though i am among those least eager to see the president's you know suggestions uh, it seems to me that obviously the other side says what are you crazy you know that's what he must do what, what, what say you well first of all i think justice Scalia would be the first to say that the president has a constitutional obligation to fill the vacancy the Constitution says the president shall, with the advice and consent of the Senate, appoint Supreme Court justices. So he's the president. The president, Constitution doesn't do anything about lame duck. He's the president. He's the president for 11, 11 more months, and he's going to make a nomination. Now, he has to be smart about it. He's not going to get the whole loaf. He's not going to be able to get a kind of liberal Democrat of the kind he previously appointed to the court, Sotomayor, uh, uh, Elena Kagan. He's not going to get that appointment. He's going to need to get a middle-of-the-road person who Republicans will support. Um, He probably will try to do something that's politically astute, like appoint the first Asian-American to the Supreme Court, um, or an African-American like Cory Booker. Cory Booker carries with him the benefit of being a senator, and the Senate rarely doesn't confirm its own 
whether it's a Democrat or Republican. So Cory Booker is a potential nominee. Also opens the New Jersey seat up for a Republican to get in the next election. Um, or there are three or four extraordinarily well-qualified Asian Americans who serve on the circuit courts or in professorships. And that would be hard for the Republicans to say, we're going to turn down the first Asian American. You know, Scalia was nominated unanimously in part because he was the first Italian American to serve on the Supreme Court. And so, you know, ethnicity does matter in appointments. And so I think if the president is smart, he's going to pick a moderate centrist with a kind of unpredictable record who nobody could really be strongly opposed to and hope that maybe there'll be enough Republicans who will see that it really is the job of the Senate to confirm if it's a decent appointment. You know, when Herbert Hoover was making a nomination, his attorney general gave him a list of 10 people. On the bottom of the list was a Democrat named Benjamin Cardoza. And Hoover said, it's a great list, but you have it back upside down. I want Cardoza. And they said, but he's a Democrat. He said, he's the greatest judge sitting in the United States today, and it's my job to appoint the greatest judge. And he appointed Cardoza, who turned out to be very conservative on the Supreme Court. So you never know. Felix Frankfurter was appointed as a liberal. He turned out to be very conservative. Souter was appointed as a conservative. He turned out to be somewhat liberal. Stevens was appointed as a conservative, somewhat liberal. You never know. Kennedy was appointed to replace Bork when Bork nomination didn't work. He turned out to be kind of, you never know which way he'll come out on any particular vote because he's the I have, vote. Uh, Professor, I have, as you know, a sound effect for the, uh, every anytime Bork is mentioned. Here it is. <laughs> as, as for that process. Uh, Doc, you know, I Skip, I like, a I question, like comment he was a very, for the professor? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Professor, I just uh, wanted to quickly ask, and I want to put you on the spot if you didn't have a chance to watch any of the debates tonight, but what have you thought about some of the debates, uh, particularly on the GOP side with so many of them and uh, Trump's resurgence? I just want to see what your comments are and thoughts about how these you have know, been handled and Donald the Trump, Trump candidacy. I've, I've known Donald Trump for a long time, um, and, and I like him as a person. I've had very nice dealings with him over the years. Ted Cruz was my student. I've known him over the years. I know Jeb Bush. I've had lunch with him. I enjoy him. He's very, very able, very able guy. I've met Mark Rubio. I think it's a, you know, a, a, a good field of, of candidates. Uh, and uh, uh, the problem with both parties is that when you win your primaries, you may, it makes it harder for you to win the general election. And the Republican side, you have to move to the right. I know Kasich today his closing statement, all he talked about was the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. You know, you're not running to be uh, the, the, the head of some church. You're running to be president. But, you know, Republicans have to move to the right and cite religion. Democrats have to move to the left and try to out-socialist uh, 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 you know, Sanders. And it's going to be – whoever gets the nomination on either side, they have to then – move back to the middle and that's always a little difficult to do so professor yeah, it was I was, an interesting I, debate i loved uh hearing your stories about how you uh kept in touch with scully and your your debates back and forth i, I just think that's fascinating it reminds me of the mm-hmm. founding, founding mm-hmm. fathers very very cool one thing i want to ask you though moving forward what is the likelihood in your opinion of the senate not confirming whoever the president uh, nominates and we move it's forward with only eight supreme court justices it's very likely. We've had that before when Thurgood Marshall was nominated. It took a long time to get him confirmed. 
And um, that was true when he was nominated to the Second Circuit and less true in the Supreme Court. And it's not the first time in history that we would have eight justices. There'd be a lot of four-to-four decisions. You know, Justice Scalia's death may very well have saved affirmative action. Um, Pundits believe that affirmative action was going to be struck down by a five-to-four vote with Scalia writing the opinion. And very likely he has written the opinion. Very likely it's sitting in the Supreme Court. But he doesn't get to vote now. And so the case may very well be decided four to four. And uh, there may be half a dozen other cases that are decided four to four. And when you have a four to four decision, what happens is the lower court opinion prevails, but it doesn't have any precedential effect as as a Supreme Court decision. Do you think so, that, that that would, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, do you think that would influence, um, you know, what happens behind closed doors in the Supreme Court when when they're discussing these things? I mean, to know, okay, this we could end up splitting on this thing here. Yeah, oh, sure. Mostly they won't take a case if they think they're going to split 4-4. Okay. But when they took the case, there were it nine wasn't. justices. Yeah. And now they, uh, you know, have eight justices. So... It, this was completely unpredictable. And, you know, Justice Scalia, as far as I know, had no medical problems. Uh, tragically, he didn't feel well last night. He went to sleep, and uh, he, apparently he, he passed away. Alan Dershowitz claiming foul play with Justice Scalia. Very, That's the headline. very no interesting. Way, no way, no way. You know, look, look, the one thing you can say about Justice Scalia, he, 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 you know, if, if you're going to die, he died a good death. He died in his sleep, no pain. Um, I'll miss Day him hunting. so much. Mm-hmm. And and according to you, Alan lived a good life. He lived a good life. He had a terrific family. His children love him. Uh, he had a wonderful wife, a wonderful father. Uh, he lived a good life. Uh, he got what he wanted. He had only one disappointment. He wanted to be Solicitor General of the United States, arguing cases in the Supreme Court, and he was beaten out for that by a friend of mine named Rex Lee, uh, who also did a great job. But then he got nominated to the circuit court, he understood that would be a stepping stone to the Supreme Court of the United States. And uh, he, you know, 30 years on the Supreme Court, that's a good life. And, uh, and he made the most of it. He debated everybody. He never shrank from <laughs> any kind of a confrontation. Professor, and, in closing, yeah. sure. how would you summarize the influence, the legacy, uh, jurisprudential oh, and influence. otherwise? Tremendous influence. He changed the way... The Supreme Court thinks about originalism, uh, original intent. He became, he was the best writer. He was a slashing writer. He took no prisoners, but he was the best writer on the Supreme Court, which I think helped popularize his opinions. You know, his opinions are readable. You don't have to be a lawyer to really love his opinions. So he will have an enduring uh, influence, not so much with the content of his opinions, because he was on the wrong side of history on a lot of issues, gay rights, gay marriage, uh, other issues. But I think he'll be remembered for changing the methodology of the Supreme Court, and it will have a big continuing influence. So he will be regarded as among ten, among the top ten influential justices, starting with John Jay and John Marshall back in the you know 18th century. Wow. Although my physician assures me the principal cause of my incipient high blood pressure when I was a younger, stupider man, um, Professor Dershowitz is America's constitutional lawyer and um, proud to have learned from him, proud to know him as a friend. Professor Dershowitz, 
Thank you so much tonight for taking you know, your Saturday so rare evening these days under these sad really circumstances. Talk, and it's such a pleasure to be on your show. I always look forward to it. I'm assuming you're addressing me, Professor. Just, just, thank uh, you very much, you Professor. That's very kind of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank I really you, enjoy it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, be Professor. Well, uh, good evening. And we'll be right back uh, on The Blaze. No. no, we're not breaking. Okay. Thank you, Professor Dershowitz. As FOR said, I now turn it over to my broadcast partners while I dab at the corners of my eyes. I understand. <laughs> I just, uh, He's not kidding, folks. I know, I know. Uh, it was really interesting to hear him talk about that stuff. But no, it's fascinating. The, back to the reason we uh, originally had scheduled this broadcast this evening is to cover the, the most recent GOP debate, of course, coming up two weeks from today. We have the, um, actually a week from today, the Republican primary in South Carolina. Two weeks from today is the Democrats' turn. And then two weeks from Tuesday, it is time to vote on the uh, for the primary in South Carolina. We want to get some of your thoughts. Uh, of course, we'll take some tweets. We'll get your calls in, 888 1st we'll run down from the crew and uh, overall, what, what do you think of the debate? Um, according to a Drudge poll, who won? I hate, I hate the who won, but you throw it out there. Uh, it goes like this. Trump, Cruz, Rubio, Kasich, Bush, Carson. How far is Trump ahead of Cruz uh, in that poll? 60 to 20 oh, wow. percent. Rubio comes in at 10 and then uh, Kasich, uh, five, Bush, two, it doesn't matter. All of the past uh, Trump polls, though, um, have led Trump. I mean, uh, it looks like Drudge is a hmm, – Trump supporters seem to be big on Trump on Drudge's website. Jay, you've done this a long time. Um, why was Trump pushing so hard tonight? I mean, he was really going back to his bread and butter of just beat the snot out of people, just – be a jerk. Be a what? Not that I disagree with it, but why was he pushing so hard tonight? The last couple, he's been kind of like, eh. Uh, two things. The first, and I, I just, I'm gonna, you know, I couldn't. I'm not gonna have easy sleep anyway, but I wouldn't sleep at all if I didn't get this in. Guys, you know, I've been yawping about this like a little ankle biter dog, but I'm ready to be a, you know, a put a pit bull on this now. I have never been more persuaded, and this is actually a question for you guys and our partners uh, in the audience. I have never been so persuaded, nor have I ever felt the love from the audience uh, agreeing with me for for what that's worth, that the audience is a factor in this that can can no longer be ignored. Thank you. If you listen to this tonight... It was clearest of any other debate I've ever seen. And again, I'm not for Trump, but this debate, it proceeded, it devolved from booing in response and snickering and jeering and sneering from everything Trump said to about 45 minutes in, they started booing and snickering and jeering before Trump said anything. Right, right. Right. this was a packed audience. There is no question who had tickets, you know, who had supporters, who didn't. And, and, and look, we know that this makes a difference. We know that the audience response influences how we at home and others respond to what we've just heard. Jay, we, we, I'm with you 100%. You, um, I, you know, I, I've thought about this before. You kind of put it on our radar screen about how serious of an issue this is. And over the last couple of debates, it's been getting worse. Tonight proves that you are right. They must no longer have an audience there. 
And it wasn't just that they were, um, you know, in it for one candidate or another or against one candidate or another. It was ideologically they were in it for a couple of candidates and against a couple. Yes. And ideologically, I mean, is this was the establishment, Jay, because they attacked Trump that way and they went off on Cruz that way. Meanwhile, yes. Je, uh, yeah. John Kasich and Jeb Bush could do no wrong. And then they started siding with Rubio as long as he mm-hmm. was kicking Cruz in the teeth. Yeah. Yep. It's Kasich become too big of an issue chip. at this point. One percent of the vote, you know, in 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 South Carolina right now, Kasich's at one or two percent in real in terms of I mean, we will know. And I'm not I'm not not saying. But, you know, and, and tonight, though, he was one of the owners of the hall of the audience. It's perverse. Yeah, no, no, the next thing that needs to happen is uh, uh, no more audiences at any any debates and no more audiences at State of the Unions, I think. Those two things need to eliminate audiences completely <laughs> entirely. Yeah. Well, I'm exactly. not sure what we could do about the latter, but... Well, uh, we just, uh, you just keep them quiet. You Skype it in. Yeah, you just Skype no, it no, in. No, no, uh, shock collars, Jay. You oh, electroshock. No yes. flapping that and works shock too. collars. Yeah, shock. Totally, so, really nice. that, all, right. all right, your call's coming up. 888 That number again, 888 3393. We'll get to him next. Don't forget on Twitter at Doc Thompson Show, at Skip Lacombe, at J underscore Severin. We'll get to all of those coming up next on this, the Blaze Radio Network. This is a special post debate presentation, reaction and analysis of the GOP debate on the Blaze Radio Network. and analysis of the GOP debate from the Blaze Radio Network. They forgot mockery. Your calls now, 888 <laughs> Oh, uh, Let's start off in uh, Ohio and Mark. Mark, you're on the Blaze Radio Network. Now, I see you want to talk about Reese's appointments, like Reese's peanut butter. I'm, I'm a little Yeah, Reese's by... cups. It's, it's absolutely the best candy bar out there. So what's this about these Reese's appointments you want to talk about? <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys think? I haven't seen this anywhere on 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 social media. A recess appointment by uh, Obama to fill oh, the mark. The, the you haven't been following me. I am ashamed. I, I, Jay, I have been banned fifteen times from Twitter. Fifteen times. <laughs> so my 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 Twitter days are numbered. Yeah, we talked about this earlier. Recess appointment, oh. important point. Go ahead, make it. Go for it. Well, I, I don't want to see it. I want to see. I want to see government shut down over it. I want to see. So, so you're uh, seeing, you're worried about it, Mark, that he would do that, oh my, and if, oh, that's absolutely. what you're concerned. But absolutely. Jay, um, it's the smartest political thing to do. Obama mm-hmm. makes a recess appointment of mm-hmm. Justice Jones, and says, "Look, I'm not. You know, I'm not. Yada yada yada. It's just a recess appointment." And then once we become accustomed, people, you know, hear about Justice Jones and Justice Jones has been in the office for 11 months, eight months, whatever it is, you know, and and then at the end of that, you know, you say, how about we keep old Justice Jones? You know, we're all we're all familiar with her or him. 
That's the purpose of, of a, a political purpose of a recess appointment. It's a backdoor. Right, because, because, well, yeah. But a recess appointment isn't necessarily permanent, right? That's the, the caveat. No. No, not at all. But right. if, you're, if you're flirting with someone that you might like to have mm-hmm. in there full time, but you're not sure you want to have the political or could survive win the political fight it, that would ensue, you do them as a recess appointment, perfectly legal perfectly constitutional right. mm-hmm. and then you know after 10 months you say hey hey come on you know you know you know all alex jones he's fine Let, let's just let's just like keep him there quick quick question if i still have the floor yes it's yours sir okay great um how how long is does the appointment last constitutionally for justice holder to to, to stay on the court if made in recess, it lasts until uh, not the recess ending. It lasts until the Congress acts or the president acts otherwise. So it, it could be, I mean, constitutionally, the likelihood versus not is is permanent. I mean, almost. Well, at some point, well, at, some, at some point. There'd be action to make it. And thank you so much. for It's a great question. Thank you for the question. Uh, at Thanks, some sir. point, there'd be a ne- necessary to, to, you know, do something about it. But a recess appointment is your best possible way to backdoor somebody who may be controversial. Back to the phones we go. 888 To Missouri and Blake. Blake, you're on the Blaze Radio Network. How are you this evening? I'm doing fantastic, guys. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for the hey, call. Blake. What did you think of tonight? All right. Uh, well, before just before I get into that real quick, I just want to say to Doc that I'm still praying for you and your family, and my thoughts and prayers are with you. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. No, no problem. Well, um, about the debate, I think we can go ahead and skip the fireworks show on July 4th and just go ahead and play some highlights of this debate tonight because it was on fire. Um, but in terms of my overall I thoughts, agree. um I was disturbed beforehand by some of the comments that Trump has made, you know, name-calling and, and most recently using a very obscene word to describe a candidate. But I was even more disturbed tonight in the debate, and I think Cruz laid it out perfectly when he pointed out Trump's record on Obamacare and Planned Parenthood and abortion. Every time you point out Trump's record, he goes after you with name-calling. And I found it interesting, too, when he started talking about Planned Parenthood and abortion – I wish he would have made this point, too. When he's talking about Supreme Court justices and liberalism, well, who is one of the people that Trump said that he would like to see nominated as Supreme Court justice? That would be his Amen. sister, who is a pro-abortion activist. Amen. So, I, I mean, I, I think Cruz just kicked his butt on that. And quite frankly, I think to some extent Rubio did the same thing. Whenever um, Cruz started pointing out his record on immigration, he immediately starts saying that Cruz lied about Carson, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, ultimately, when it comes down to Trump, I think in a president, we need someone who is, you know, has a civil demeanor, who is, who has a strong record and doesn't just name call every time you point something out that is a flaw in his character. And to me, I saw a completely unhinged Trump more so than I've ever seen before. Yeah, I, I say, I mate, the at- only way that you're uh, being too charitable in, in this is Jay, in my mm-hmm. view to Trump, too charitable, is that it's not 
so much that someone else kicked his butt as though he cut his own throat. Leave him enough time and he'll generally, you know, cut his own throat. He is a vulgarian. And if you give a vulgarian airtime, they will be vulgar. Everybody, all of us, and all, all of us are with sin. Whatever our particular sin or sins happen to be, give us time, give us pressure, stress, you know, situation, and we will generally betray who we are, in essence. <laughs> Trump is a Bulgarian, mm. and he, he doesn't see anything wrong. You know, his is a cult of personality, and he doesn't feel it necessary to buttress what he wants with history or <laughs> logic well, yeah, or that's, laws. That or, it. Yeah. yeah. Blake, thanks so much for the call, buddy. Appreciate that and the kind words. Um, right off early on, um, I tweeted out and mentioned something uh, about Donald Trump that, and, and I have to, I have to stress one more time, Jay, uh, Skip and I have mentioned this on our program several times. Stop shooting the messenger. I don't care if the messenger is me or Glenn yes. or Jay, stop shooting the messenger. If you know Reagan's 11th amendment, right, right. But, but Jay, we are consistent people here. You know, I mean, we, we are so consistent. We even tell you our biases. And then still are consistent. You know, we, we let you challenge them. And I'm tired of people shooting the messenger. If I say something against Cruz, it doesn't mean I hate Cruz. I've told you he's, right. my, he's my candidate at this point. So stop shooting the messenger. I'm being yeah. honest and open about this stuff. And it's usually it, based on It makes you reasonable yes. and rational. And the Trump people, you tweet something about them and they go crazy. Lose their mind. Yep. Guys, I'm telling you the truth. And I've been even critical of the people that that I support. So early on, um, I had mentioned uh, how Donald Trump, when he first came out and was asked the question about the Supreme Court, and he name-dropped a couple of judges that I've never heard of. He's like, I think, uh, you know, Pete Jehenowitz from Walla Walla, Washington would be a fine (laughs) Supreme Court justice. And, And I'm saying to myself, does he really know these people? I'll bet if you look him up, these people are staunch conservatives, and he's doing it. I, I have to believe that he's doing it just to make it look like he's conservative. Yes. And at worst, well, you know, at worst, it's a really important lost opportunity. A Supreme Court justice died. That Supreme Court justice, wherever he or she spent their career and influence on the court, on the spectrum, on the political spectrum, they've died. There needs to be a new one now. So forget names, Jones or Smith. Tell us what principle or principles, you know, you say, look, you know, I'm no lawyer, but the the one or two principles I'd like to see either changed or upheld that this person who has just passed stood for would include civil rights, uh, I, I I don't know. You know, just tell us what you mean. Yeah, no, it is very interesting. And, and I think, too, particularly going back to the point on the fireworks and being so feisty and snippy, far more than I've seen in any of the other debates, really just opens up a chance for uh, President Dwayne Elizondo, Mountain Dew, Herbert Camacho to come okay, in. And me, really, I, I mean, make <laughs> make a major is he a wrestler. No, no, that's from the movie Idiocracy. He was the president in the movie oh, Idiocracy. Have, Jay, have you seen it's Idiocracy? The, the documentary I Idiocracy. Not, not Jay, I, this I is must-see. I, I have never suggested 
a movie, a periodical, anything for you. You've got to see this. You will think this is brilliant. It is. So it, you promise me it's not. You're not suggesting. In my case, it's autobiographical. No, it is not. It is not. <laughs> um, it is. It is wonderful. You will love this. But you'll you'll get the reference then too. Um, did, did you see when Jeb Bush basically said, my dad can beat up your dad? Basically. Did you see when yes. he said that? <laughs> uh, let's get some more. When, Go ahead, Jack. As a, as a running a, a political shop, uh, agency for 25 years, you know, not a little thought. I know it seems stupid, but not a little thought. High-priced thought goes into deciding what your graphic is right what your slogan yep. is what your yep. strategy is all that guys right yep. so heb heb <laughs> you know with heb. the exclamation point they you know that it, it it could be utterly idiotic but it didn't happen without a lot of thought by so-called experts and and the reason for it uh most substantially was we need to generate attention excitement etc but without Bush, we you know we need to you know we need to do something that 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 celebrates Heb Heb, but without any way, without any way saying Bush, but without denying it. And here we are at this point in the campaign. And is there some other relative? How many like twice removed <laughs> cousins now do we have to get into that he's pulling out on the campaign trail? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I'm just happy that Marco Rubio has let me and a lot of other people know that if I break into his house, that I can stay. Uh, my Florida vacation this spring. It's going to be a lot nicer this gonna year. It's going to be a lot cheaper. I know yeah. that because that's essentially what he said when he was talking about immigration, right? All right. Phone number to get in is 888-900-3393. Talking uh, post-GOP uh, debate coverage. Uh, let's go now to California. And Cody, Cody, you're on the Blaze Radio Network. How are you? Cody. Hey, guys, I'm doing great. How you doing? Good. Doing fantastic. Hey, so I just wanted to just give a short rant um, about about tonight regarding Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. I'm sure you guys, you know. Rant sure away. That. The floor is yours. <laughs> rant on. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that's most important to me when it comes to choosing a candidate, which is why at first I was a Rand supporter before I knew about Ted, then I switched to Ted, then Rand dropped out, and I went Ted hardcore. But I kept Marco Rubio on the back burner because of the fact that, you know, when I listened to him on a service level, he seemed to have the right speech. He seemed to have the right attitude. But one thing I've noticed going on is, you know, the establishment's really been pushing him since they know Jeb's not going to get anywhere. And tonight really was a focal point for me um, in really abandoning his train even as a backup because of the fact that the way he attacked Ted. You know, Ted, whenever it comes to fighting people, will always bring up the facts. He doesn't have a problem doing it. And one of the things that, that drove me nuts about Marco tonight was him trying to warp for the second time now on a debate stage his his involvement with the gang of ape bill and no matter how many times glenn or i mean uh not glenn no matter how many times ted will bring up the facts about what happened marco will always resort to somehow justifying his actions or oh let's not talk about my involvement let's just talk about the poison pill that that ted tried dropping on the whole thing what do you think he was after my question is that that again the two lanes argument i could be all wet but so maybe you reject that. But I think it's Trump v. Cruz, which is one primary within the primary. And the second and only other one is who who's the establishment candidate. And that's Bush Rubio. And if you must, you know, Kasich Carson. But what did what do you think he gained by an attack outside his lane? 
I think he gained some of the emotional voters, not so much the logical ones. The logical voters will always stick to who's presenting the facts. But the emotional voters, like the ones, for example, who are behind Trump, they respond to the language you use. They respond to the tone in your voice. And I think those are the ones, the people that are on the Ah. fence, do I go with Ted, do I go with Marco, the ones that are geared more by their emotions and their passions, I think those are the ones he was after. Yeah, Cody, interesting that by, so by attacking a Cruz, you would think that he's trying to take his numbers, but maybe not. If he acts like the tough guy, kind of loof cannon, the non-PC guy, he would actually woo some of Trump's people while beating up on Cruz. Interesting. That's what I think he was going for, because I think he understands that it's a lot easier to sway emotional voters than logical voters, especially at this point in the race. Most people that have been doing their homework and know the facts, they've already chosen who they want. But those that are on the fence that are swayed by their feelings, Marco knows that those are the ones he can pull from. And I think he's trying to turn this into a him versus Ted uh, campaign, I guess you could say, instead of a, a Ted versus Trump campaign. You know, so, we, Ted, you know, one of Ted's weaknesses is that he will do his best to try and keep himself calm and collected and stick to the facts. And it, when it comes to politics, that's kind of a, a weakness, I guess, when it comes to emotional voters, because emotional voters want to see someone get riled, that they want to see someone with sass in their voice and anger in their fist, which is why so many flock to Trump. Cody, thanks so much for your thoughts and comments and, thanks, uh, and the rant. I have a clip of uh, Cruz and Rubio going at it. Uh, where they're just going back and forth. This is one of the times where it just kind of got to be a brawl. Listen to this from the GOP debate. If you look at the folks on this stage, when Harry Reid and Chuck Schumer and establishment Republicans were leading the fight to pass a massive amnesty plan, I stood with Jeff Sessions and Steve King and the American people and led the fight to defeat that amnesty plan. We're going to have to do this again, okay? When that issue was being debated, Ted Cruz at a committee hearing very passionately said, I want immigration reform to pass. I want people to be able to come out of the shadows. And he proposed an amendment that would have legalized people here. Not only that, he proposed doubling the number of green cards. He proposed a 500% increase on guest workers. Now his position is different. Now, now he is a passionate opponent of all those things. So he either wasn't telling the truth then or he isn't telling the truth now. But to argue he's a purist on immigration is just not true. Oh, come I on. Just, it's, come it, the on, the come pod called the kettle black is, just cracks me yeah, up on this thing. We're also this is the- screaming. They, oh, they yeah. were Dude, so yeah, enthusiastic that about that answer that they were screaming. Unbelievable how 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 stacked that crowd was in terms of being uh, 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 against Ted Cruz. Anytime anybody said anything about Ted Cruz, it was it was it was it was the uh, uh, amazing response. Triple eight nine hundred thirty. Midway through, when Trump said anything, he didn't have to say anything. The no. minute they said Mr. Trump, he would start, and they'd say, you know, in the first uh, mid syllable of his first word. Um, putting that aside, because I could as you know, you know, go very mad about this again and again and again. What about a question for you guys, Doc and Skip? What about, based on tonight at least, and if we agree tonight was significant, if not definitive, what about Carson and Kasich? Are they, like, toe-tagged or... Carson is. What's Carson's done. He, 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 I think Carson has to be done. I mean, he may get a little kiss in South Carolina, but ain't going nowhere to move the numbers. I don't know if he makes it to Super Tuesday. I think Kasich hangs in there a while. He at least tried to do what I said, and that was to paint himself as the 
the uniter. In fact, he actually said the word he uniter did. a whole bunch. Yeah. He's yeah. not. It's not yeah. going to happen. You'd have to see something significant, some disaster with Trump, physical or campaign-wise or something, before you'd see the move. But that's at least his plan. So I well, think Kasich he's in it for no a little while. sugar daddy. Kasich is unique for the moment. And this is what he's, again, this is all the within the within the within. You know, it's the Russian babushka dolls, right? You open them to infinity until they come down to a little P. You know, there's always something within something else. And within the Kasich campaign, as with all of them, to one degree or another, uh, are about something else simultaneously. And for Kasich, it's he has no sugar daddy. Bush has a super PAC. Rubio has a super PAC. At all, at all. Kasich, as of this evening, as we sit down together, has no super pack. So he has no sugar daddy. <clears throat> that That's true. Um, so maybe, you know, the money tells the story and he's out. Uh, ben Carson, don't forget, he has his no-dos money. You that's know, for true. being this post person for no dose. So, um, yeah, the one big endorsement. Or excuse me, Night All. Night All. It was the Night All kit. That's what it was. Triple eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three is the phone number. Get in. Let's turn now to Las Vegas and Zach. Zach, you're on the Blaze Radio Network. What's up, man? Zachster. Hey guys, how are you doing? This is Zach like slimes. Um, ah, Zach like slimes. Today, uh, um, I'm not a big fan of uh, George W. Bush. And because of Donald Trump's comments today, I'm finding myself defending President Bush. It's a little goofy for me. Um, <laughs> well, President is, Bush, you say you find yourself defending President Bush. How does that translate yes, to the current field? So um, when we specifically look at it, um, President Bush was not responsible for 9-11. He was responsible for the wars that followed, the Patriot Act, the uh, Homeland, Department of Homeland Security. Um, now, in the end, I know my, I know myself and my family, uh, that was just a little goofy to watch. Um, and it's really uh, strengthening our determination behind Ted Cruz. I was a big RAND guy. And what's the translation um, there? What's the translation key? The translation key is if you, and if someone like myself who's more libertarian, and end up defending someone like President Bush, you know you did something very wrong. And I think that, <laughs> um, that would be like Skip defending ice cream trucks and right, right. Doc attacking mannequins, which is... Right. Hey, wait a minute. I thought about that means. Now you're just going way too far, man. Way too far. Get end this me. call. Get that uh, <laughs> dump that Very ball. cool. Well, guys, uh, th- I thank you so much. Um, love listening to the show. All right, and buddy. If you guys are in Vegas, just let us know. Um, we'll invite you to some really good food, okay? Oh, I love it. Love it. Sure, Zach food. Lake Limes. Thanks food. so much, That's buddy. why I go to Vegas. That's right. I'll, you'll be the first I call. <laughs> there are some a other reasons meal. people have been told to go. Right, exactly. A good All hot right. meal. That's All right, coming up uh, Monday, the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin will have continuing coverage of both uh, the, the passing of Justice Scalia and the GOP uh, debate, as well as election 2016. Skip and I will Monday morning as well. Thank you so much for listening. In the meantime, thanks so much to Ty Johnson, at Ty Johnson News, for spinning the dials radio style. Thank if you, you want to follow us, it's at Skip Lacombe, at Doc Thompson Show, and at J underscore Severn. Have yourself a great day. listening to reactions and analysis of the GOP debate. The Blaze Radio Network.
When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on washing and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now.